Hello, my name's Gregory Wilker. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Live with Greg. Today is November 17th, 2019, and last night I learned that my podcast had way exceeded the resources I have to keep it alive as a video podcast. So I am actively working to move it to an audio podcast. The video is still available on my website, gregorywoker.com, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Live with Greg. Thanks for your support. John Berlinski, one of the yoga teachers that I frequent <laughs> off and on. <laughs> and uh, how you doing? Good, thanks. All right. <laughs> um, so one of the things I'm interested in, and we touched on it a little bit when I was talking with you, mm-hmm. is the mechanics of yoga. And I'm wondering if, like scientifically speaking, if I set up a machine... And there's gears in place, etc. And so if I turn this gear, and it's going to turn more gears, and there's an action and an end result, and it doesn't take my belief, you know, I could poo-poo it. I could <laughs> really, you know, all sorts of things. But if I turn the crank, X is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Kind of like A equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C. Like that kind of rudimentary fact that isn't, has nothing to do with belief. So, now and then it's come up, and even in class you've talked about the asanas are set up as a system. And there is logic to the system. And my first question, I guess, is by doing an asana is something put into play that is going to be a positive result. Is there a positive result from asana practice regardless of belief? Um, (laughs) Well, I'm caught for a moment because the word positive is throwing me off since positive can be Subjective, as opposed to a result, which is objective. And there's definitely an objective result happening. Whether that's positive or not, I think that's kind of the individual's experience. I can't help but think that there's some benefit to it, just based on my own experience of practice and working with people over time. But I may have a biased viewpoint on the benefits of yoga practice. Um. But in, t- in terms of thinking of it, that the, I'm hearing your question, Greg, as just the actual mechanics of anasana and of practice, regardless of the subjectivity that one brings to it. And on that level, um, I do find that there is a lot of benefit because like your, your um, analogy of a machine, it's almost like that. It's as if our bodies are machines and we're putting them through a series of movements that are going to align them, um, counterbalance them, 
to the habitual patterns or misalignments that they tend to gravitate towards. Um, create some kind of internal health through the action of asana, which is really dependent on the individual and and what type of practice they're doing. But um, that, that level of yoga exists regardless of what one's philosophy or belief or definitely even subjective viewpoint of it is. And I, I can only speak personally knowing that um, I have days where my viewpoint of practice is not happy. I'm not feeling good. You know, I'm not enjoying myself. Um, I'm not jumping into the ocean of bliss, right? It's actually quite miserable and uncomfortable. Yet the result of practice afterwards is physically a much clearer state, like a less disrupted, less uncomfortable state, a more balanced one, um, a sense of moving more freely in my body, um, less discomfort. Um, and that that's really a result of my body mechanically going through the action of asana, regardless of how I'm feeling about it on an emotional or spiritual level. Um, and that, this is something I say to people all the time, you know, regardless of how we feel during practice, it's very rare that people don't feel better from having done it, which I think is a testament to the fact that yoga as a mechanical system is working on some levels. Of course, and I don't know if we want to get into this whole tangent, if things are done incorrectly, they're going to cause injury, so you're not going to get that benefit. And we've all crossed that line, and that, that line needs to be defined. That It gets defined just through experience. Feel free to interrupt me, because I'll just keep moving. That's all right. Um, but no, I do really believe that. You know, I've seen it for years. I've seen it myself. Um, it's a It's a highly corrective experience. (laughs) (laughs) One thing when I hear you talk that happens for me, the word feeling. So feeling better. Start to, for me, I start to stray away from keeping it just physical, physiology, biology, Mm -hmm. because feelings, you know, we still haven't found the biology feelings yeah so when you say like there's some days that are pure misery for you (laughs) and are you talking like there's physical ailments that you're experiencing or are you talking about the psychology of your presence Um, i'm speaking just on the physical just just to like address your question of a machine type thing right yeah i mean there are days where i haven't slept enough um I'm unusually stiff as opposed to the norm. I may have, I may have done something the day before that was physically demanding in a way that I wasn't used to, so it impacted my body. Um, that yeah, just purely from that physical point of view. All right. So from your experience, just keeping it physical, you could have you'll have a physical element that you're entering the practice this with. And after the practice, that element will potentially have disappeared or is diminished. So you're continuing through the day and it's no longer the irritant it was. Yeah, I I find that the the practice of asana just on that physical scale 
is more often relieving than not. You know, and why our bodies feel the way they do, it's a, that's a very complex question. But right. I, I know that in my case, oh, I would say 99.9% of the time, when I get on a yoga mat, regardless of any physical, emotional, or spiritual resistance I have to that, to doing that, I feel better from having done it afterwards. And is that why you keep doing it? Um, <laughs> that's part of the reason, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm laughing because that's a very complicated question. You know, I mean, yoga is... It's such a complex experience. I mean, when we just... And I know in our conversation before the camera turned on, just touching on the physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of why people do yoga. There are so many different levels, and they're so nuanced that the why is... You know, this could be like a 10-day-long podcast, right? <laughs> right. But okay. So, I imagine that you have experienced points in your life where the challenge of yoga <clears throat> is strong and by that I mean your um, commitment to it hmm. is challenged oh yeah definitely and I yeah I, I know exactly what you're saying I, I've had times in the past where I've had some pretty bad injuries I think it was probably 25 years ago, I had bursitis in my elbow, and my left elbow swelled up to like the size of a baseball. And so, of course, I didn't practice for about a week until the rest of my body, and more importantly, my mind, was just craving, you know, you need to practice. Um, and I started practicing and just figured out a way to do my yoga practice that didn't involve my arm as it healed. And instances like that have happened many times over the years. Um, I've had back issues over the years that are not yoga-related. Um, and I found that there's always a way to do something, and that doing something has provided some relief. And it's, it's actually a perspective I bring to practice as a teacher, because often when we have something wrong, like an injury some type of thing, people assume that, okay, I can't practice. You know, I have this injury. Yet, and I used to think that too. Um, I haven't had maybe five years ago, I cut my finger really badly in a garden accident, gardening accident. I had 10 stitches in my hand. But oh, I can't practice. Um, within three days, I was on my yoga mat, even though my hand was completely bandaged up. Um, and it's a perspective that I, I bring often as a teacher is that we have the rest of our body and our mind to still contend with. And if we can practice that while not compromising a healing environment for what needs to be healed, an injury, you know, whether it's a pool or something like stitches, um, there's always a way to do it. It's amazing. It's I, I've never ceased to be amazed by the constant ability of yoga to con con continuously reinvent itself. <laughs> Honestly, you know, and I, I know in the Ashtanga system that I've been practicing for many years now, it's often thought of from the outside as a very rigid system. 
but the uh, the expansiveness of that system and the way it can be used to address so many different type of situations it just it never ceases to amaze me all right so anyway keep me focused here I can like, that's all right because we could go <laughs> um no problem there but you're talking about so the expansiveness you have discovered in ashtanga practice right yeah just in my own experience because i'm sure many other people find that in other styles that they might resonate with because one uh, for myself, you mentioned how you've noticed a love-hate relationship I have with yoga. Mm-hmm. And I have another question about that. But with that, <laughs> with that spoken outwardly, uh, one of the things that my mind has brought for my attention is <clears throat> maybe doing the same thing every day is tiresome. And if I go to another teacher, you know, they're mixing it up. It's not the same routine every day. Mm-hmm. So what expansiveness of change, and you haven't said change, so maybe that's my projection, putting a word in. Mm-hmm. But what expansiveness, is expansiveness <laughs> of change appropriate in your experience of Ashtanga practice? Oh, yeah. Um and again, it's, you know, as, as someone who's been doing yoga for quite a while, I don't think that one yoga is right and others are wrong. People resonate with different things. Um, and you're perhaps in an interesting phase of your yoga experience because you are experiencing many different things. Um, and it's not that one that one necessarily needs to pick one thing. You know, people exist in all different ways. And, uh I completely respect whatever people are resonating with. I found in my own experience of Ashtanga, it's really, it's it's essentially meditation. It's a moving pranayama meditation practice. And I found over time, it's no different than, for instance, sitting meditation. Let's, let's say you go to a, uh, you're a Zen Buddhist, and you're going to sit on your Zafu for a half an hour every day. And you're going to do that every day. You know, the structure of your practice is you're going to put your body on your zafu and sit and watch and do your practice. And it's really the same thing in Ashtanga practice. The um, the sequence of the asanas, the physical structure of the practice, is merely the vehicle. And I think it's really the least, I don't want to say important, but it's, it's just merely the vehicle. Um, yet the... In the world of yoga, I think especially the modern yoga world, like the contemporary yoga world, which is initially asana-focused and is very asana-centric, which it, it has to be because that's how people start yoga. It's through asana, which is great. Um, there can often be this perception of, why do you want to do the same thing every day? And actually in Ashtanga, you don't do the same thing because as you evolve through the different series, you're doing a number of different practices simultaneously. But I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Um, So this is a practice that appeals to a certain type of individual. Um, And I can only speak for myself in saying that by having that reference point of a practice that I'm continuously returning to, it creates this reference point of watching 
the change in my physical body, my emotional body, my spiritual body, not just from day to day, week to week, but year to year. I mean, the, the, the range is, it's like the micro experience and the macro. And it's absolutely fascinating. And it, it reminds me quite often of um, you know, when I speak to people who've been meditating for many years, and they just become more deeply drawn into the process of it. Um, and I know that my relationship with my physical yoga practice has changed considerably because I've been I've been doing Ashtanga practice in a committed way since ooh, like well I met Patabi Joyce the first time in 1993, so I use that as my beginning point. Um, yet the way that I do my practice now, I may be doing the same sequence of asanas depending this on the series I'm working on. But the way I'm approaching it in a body that is 93, 22 years older than it was when I started, and not just a body that physically has practiced the sequence for 22 years, but a body that has experienced practice for that length of time and has had many different life changes, as we all do as adults over long periods of time, um... Ooh, the train's jumping track. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm just saying that in looking at that, it's, it's not this fixed reference point. Like, oh, I'm doing the same Austin as I was 22 years ago, and I'm really bored and have to mix it up. Um, you know, and, and believe me, I test it occasionally. I definitely do. And I, in the past, I have really tested it. I've done it backwards. I've done it left side first for months at a time. I didn't just kind of, you know... So what should I do next? You know, I've really tested this because I don't like to do what I'm told. I have to test to understand why I'm doing it. And I've always gravitated back to the form of the practice because I found that that's where the most benefit has come from. Um, and I see, you know, when, when people resonate with this practice, and you know from coming to Mysore class, it's like they are there. But there's a lot of people who are very dedicated Ashtanga practitioners who do other practice too, other asana practice. And that's awesome, you know? Everything has something to offer. And whether it's offering something, it's kind of scratching that itch of like, I really need to do something a little different because the system is only presenting me certain things. Or they need to hear a different voice. Or I know in my case, when I go through periods of getting bored with practice, it's never the practice. Boredom for me personally and I'm saying this personally because I don't want to project upon you or anybody else, when I'm bored with my practice, I'm projecting my own boredom with myself upon the external practice. And when I get in that kind of rut, I'm not looking at things within myself that need to be looked at and perhaps addressed or worked with. And and I find, you know, in my own experience of having done this practice for the time that I have, it's reinvented itself constantly. And had it not, I would, the first time I would have been bored, I would have been out the, out the door. You know, and for whatever reason, I was able to stay. And this is just my own experience. And I've seen people that, you know, have been able to do that. There's people in our room who've been practicing longer than I have, and they're there, and they're loving every second. I've seen many people over the years 
it resonates for that period of time and then it no longer resonates there's another practice that might resonate more for them and that can happen and then sometimes those people come back I've seen this a lot too it's really <clears throat> yoga is such a fascinating thing it's, it's beyond definition in a way you have a question? <laughs> Besides the fact, we, sh- we should note for the camera that he admitted his love-hate relationship with yoga practice. <laughs> right on, man. That makes you no different than the rest of us, right? Uh, no. <laughs> you think all us yoga teachers are just like, love we love it. yoga, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, like the, the switch is on, you know, and you're just all... Yeah. No, I, I'll admit something publicly on camera to you that okay. rarely do I wake up in the morning like, yeah, I can't wait to get on my yoga mat. It's definitely, it's a labor of love. You know, it's a, it's a practice. Yet I know that when I do practice, when I do my practice, my being on every level is greatly improved and much more tolerable to myself. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you, because yeah. this question's reminiscent a few times. Mm. Um, your relationship with your parents. I think both your parents are alive. Yeah, they are. Has it improved? Because of yoga or because of yeah. everything? Well, so um, I, I believe you and I are in agreement that the yoga practice improves the self. Again, speaking for myself without projection, just like you said. My experience with yoga is I am more the person I want to be when I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that includes my relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. My father's passed away. And sometimes that means being with me, not liking the relationship, not liking her. Mm-hmm. Right, um, <clears throat> and then finding what I love about her, finding what I like about her. Mm-hmm. So, so with that parameter, and if and if you disagree, please speak up. But I'm believing that you're in agreement that your practice of yoga improves you as John, as the person. The person you want to be is closer to being real with your yoga practice. Yeah, but let me ask you, when you just describe that relationship with your mom, do you attribute that to you practicing yoga? That you can... I attribute... Have you seen your relationship with her change as you've practiced yoga over time? I have, yeah. Hmm. I don't have a, um, you know, scientifically speaking... I don't have a, um, what do you call the, the, so if you have, you know, you need something that hasn't been practicing yoga. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I we're not talking science here. We're talking emotion, right? <laughs> right. But I think, well, for me, for me, science, religion, spiritual pursuit really is, they're all seeking truth. Yeah. And, and, and I think that there is, um, that this goes off the track, <laughs> but I think this, that there's a, a, a belief that science and religion or science and spirituality 
are in opposition or can't coexist. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really one and the same. And actually, I believe there's a lot of benefit from the coexistence. But that's mm-hmm. that's not definitely off the track from talking about parents. Yeah, but I, I see what you're saying. Um, so, I mean, to answer that question, I think that you and I have similar experiences in the sense that I, I see with yoga, we all have our very unique individual response, but there are some general types of effects that yoga brings to people. Um, so in thinking about my relationship with my parents, it definitely improved when my mother started practicing yoga. That really helped. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being a little facetious, but it, one thing that you bring to mind is when I went to my first my first trip to Mysore to study with Patabi Joyce. That was in 1994. And my parents were convinced that I had joined a cult. I had left a very good job at UC Berkeley. I was a career employee for the University of California. I could have lived out my days there in mediocrity and whatever. Um, and I quit all that to go to India to study with Guruji. And my parents were on the verge of doing an intervention with me. Um, and so to fast forward about 12 years from then, or maybe a little more, um, my mom had started practicing yoga on her own. I never had any intention of trying to get my family to practice yoga, but everyone in my family started practicing yoga over time, except for my dad. Um, but he's open to it. And eventually, I think sometime in the mid-2000s, uh, Patabi Joyce was in New York City, my uh, my parents live in Washington, D.C., and my mom and my sister went up to New York and took class with him. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And they sent me back a picture of that they took with him. He's in the middle. They both have their arms around him, just like my mom's head, Rudy's head, my, sis- <laughs> my oldest sister's head. I looked at that picture. I still have it. I'll save this picture forever because I look at it and I'm like, that's the picture that I never thought would happen. Right. It's just amazing, but I'm, I'm going a little bit off. I, I find, like, when I say that I'm better from doing practice, um, this is such a, it's such a complex subject. Um, I can only, I'll articulate it in the sense that I feel that in, a, like, some relief from myself. Not that myself needs to be relieved, but there's the um, the physical thing we spoke about. Um, I think when you start to talk about the benefit that yoga brings emotionally, um, it's... Oh, I'm just wondering if I should open up this can of worms. Sure. Um, <laughs> and I'm thinking... I'm trying to think how to articulate something concisely that we could go off on. And perhaps the best way to look at it, Greg, is because you bring up the relationship with the parents. Um, when we practice yoga for a long period of time, I always find the best reference point is to look at how we may have responded to something in the past. Not so much yesterday or last month or last year, but for instance, you know, how did you and I respond to our parents or how were we triggered by our parents 
10 years ago or five years ago relative to now. And in my own experience, I know that my practice of yoga generally allows me to cultivate some perspective as opposed to reaction. It allows me to create some perspective in terms of observation. So if, for instance, my mother triggers me, okay, which I think everyone's mother triggers, everyone's parents trigger them. You and I are parents. We trigger our kids, right? It's just part of the deal, huh? Um, over time, I, I believe the, um, the practice of yoga creates the ability not to immediately react, but perhaps to observe that response, to feel it, to articulate it internally, and perhaps thoughtfully respond to it, as opposed to immediately react to it. And I know I'm, I'm setting up kind of an ideal situation. And, and people often assume, oh, if I practice yoga, I'm going to be perfect every time. You know, that's entirely untrue. And in my experience of yoga practice, I thought I was perfect when I began. And over the years, it's only laid bare the imperfections continuously. And I, I think in seeing those imperfections and accepting them and cultivating um, some patience and some compassion towards myself around them, um, that that's where some of the behavior begins to change because it's no longer that immediate reaction, but it's more like, oh, okay, this is happening again. I can feel that. I'm going to look at it and not necessarily like go in for the kill immediately. So what, what that's done in my relationship with my parents, for instance, is <clears throat> it's created in me the ability to listen more, to feel more compassion towards them, even though I may disagree with their perspective or their response to certain things. Um, and is, you know, as I don't want to speak for you, but just based on what you said about your situation with your mom, I mean, that just trickles out into life in general. It doesn't mean we're not going to react to stuff or get triggered and react immediately, but then we might think about it more constructively afterwards than we had in the past, right? I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question thoroughly or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I see it in my kid, too. You know, I have a nine-year-old, and you know how it is with younger children. It's We go through different phases depending on where they can be in life. And I, I find that that's one of the, the biggest practices is responding to my child from a place of patience and understanding, which might sound really ideal and great but you know as a parent and if anyone who's spending any time listening to this who knows <laughs> is a parent and knows one of the, I, find, I found one of the greatest tests is being a parent in terms of reacting, listening our wants and, and yoga has been a tremendous boon <clears throat> for me in that <clears throat> Part of the yoga practice for me that I hear from teachers mm -hmm. is there's an element of physically holding resistance. And sometimes 
even as a teacher, you may have, let me take that back. Sometimes I hear from a teacher even direction that is saying, even though it feels like you want to do this, do this. And you're holding, it's almost like you're holding two pieces of a body next to each other in such a manner it's creating resistance, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And bringing that into life, like you're saying with children, or even all people, I believe there's an element of by practicing this physically, mm-hmm. then when someone is in my life and I'm feeling resistance, I can breathe with it and I can hold it instead of, like you're saying, going in for the kill. <laughs> instead of reacting instantaneously from that energy of resistance, I can just hang there and breathe. And then maybe even start to, like in yoga, start to relax with the pose. So it's no longer high octane, mm-hmm. you know, um, energy. You're still, the physical element is still there, but now there's a relaxation. Mm-hmm. And then peace, you know, getting yes. kind of airy fairy a bit, but yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I see that little ring of fairies circling around your head. You can't it's see it, to me. but it's there. They create trouble. Yeah. Well, this is a really an interesting point you bring up because, you know, all, I mean, our, our physical body and our emotions are inseparable regardless of, and I'm not saying that's like from the scientific point of view, but I think it's fairly apparent to many people and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm assuming us that, you know, our a lot of our emotional responses are internalized in our body. And the the somatic response that we have can be a reflection of that. And the practice of asana becomes almost like the, the physical <clears throat> manifestation of what you just described, where you don't you feel it and instead of getting triggered, you're able to articulate the emotional response, like have the, uh, the dimension around your experience or the ability to observe your experience in a broader way than just the very closed reactive way. And so when we're in an asana and we're experiencing resistance, the decision to either move away from that resistance and run away from it or be with it or even move into it to a certain extent is a a very important decision because if one can stay with it or possibly move into it in a a healthy, beneficial way, and I mean in terms of not creating injury, um, what can happen there, it it almost becomes the, the microcosm of what you just described in a much bigger sense. Um... It becomes <laughs> we should let looking at the dog at the window over there. <laughs> Honey, you can't get in on this video, don't you know that? Um, and what what that comes I don't want to say what it comes down to, but it's again I'm thinking like five different things at once. It's I'll, I'll go with just one avenue of thought here, which is it's it's the ability to look at our habitual movement 
our habitual response physically and extrapolate that to other levels, emotional, habitual responses, um, that type of thing. But to look at that habitual response and instead of reinforcing it and going with it, to try to address it and unwind it. And so we all know that the easiest thing to do when we come up against resistance is to turn around and run out the door. You know, and believe me, we've all done it, right? Yet by facing that resistance and allowing oneself to stay with it, to begin to breathe through it, because obviously the first thing resistance does is it, you know, it takes our breath away. So to be able to hold oneself at a point of resistance and then bring the awareness of the breath into it, it's almost like that point moves a little bit forward. And then you revisit it the next time and it keeps moving forward and the whole quality of it changes. That doesn't mean, I'm not implying that it will eventually dissipate and we will be you know, free of resistance and I'm peace, peaceful, right? I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, it's always that point's going, it's moving around. Sometimes it's moving forward, sometimes it's moving backwards. But the ability to stay with it is what begins to... Um, to unwind these habitual patterns of movement, you know, these in Sanskrit, these samskaras, these um, these like embodied, yeah, I'm just not even sure if I want to go there. And, go there. You know, yeah. the, these embodied responses that we have. Um, like psychosis we, almost. Yeah, that we can work on changing or not. Um, Patavi Joyce had a very interesting way of defining this. And... His English was not very good, so he tended to to articulate complex experiences in an almost simplistic way. It came off initially simplistically, but um, as one pondered them, or at least as I did, and studied more, I could see the uh, the, the vast experience that he was defining, and, and your bringing this up, you bring to mind something he used to say quite often about pain. And sometimes people will perceive Ashtanga as like a painful experience. Um, and I used to think of it like that too. I don't really think of it. It's not a painful yoga practice. You know, yoga is what we make of it. Some days it's less comfortable than others. Um, <clears throat> it's really the quality that any of us bring to our yoga practice. But I'm going to stay focused here. So Guruji used to say, um, good pain, change happening, transformation coming, were his words. He'd say bad pain, injury injury coming only. Okay, so that, that to me, that was a way of defining the difference between acknowledging the resistance that we feel in an asana physically, but also seeing our whole kind of psycho-spiritual response which happens simultaneously, and allowing ourselves to not just to run away from it, but to stay with it, to and to intelligently participate in it. To 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 do what we were saying before. That's where the transformation yeah. comes, and that that's where when you can get to a place in yoga, like in your practice, I've seen this happen in you. Suddenly one day you're doing something in your practice and you're not thinking about it. Where six months ago, it was your most hated pose, right? (laughs) 
Yeah. And suddenly you're doing it and you're kind of like, oh, wow, I used to hate this one. But it's integrated and it's, it's become that, that whole charge of I hated it or what it brought up begins to dissipate and it integrates. Well, speaking of like hanging and should we let her in? <laughs> she sounds yeah. very... Do we need to pause while I let the no, dog in? No, we can, we can okay. just let it run. Mothers are going to hear this dog crying in the background. She always wants to get in the middle of the action. Yeah. Yeah. Good girl. <laughs> oh. Good girl. Come here. Oh. Leave Greg alone. Is she allowed on the couch? No. Okay. All right. So, on your bed, Casey. Um, Good girl. Good girl. Lay down. Talking about... Just for the record, my pit bull does not practice yoga. <laughs> she is yoga. <laughs> she is. <laughs> She's completely in the present, unconditional. See, it can be achieved. Yeah. Um, like sun, sun, Okay, so there's a sun salutation, and what is it? A. Mm. What's it called? Surnamaskara A. Surnamaskara A and Sura. Surya Namaskara. Surya Namaskara. You'd think I would know these terms after what five years or whatever. I don't. Yeah, B. Mm -hmm. And B, like I used to hate B. Mm -hmm. And I think, like talking about being with the resistance, I, I still don't relish B. And I've come to a point where it's like, okay, I can do this. Let me just be, like, instead of trying to rush through it, because that's what happened. I noticed, like, oh, look. I really don't like this pose, and I'm trying to rush through it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I noticed that by chilling out and just doing the pose to the best of my ability, it's not as painful. Mm. Actually, rushing through it is more painful. It's kind of mm. holding on to that energy that's creating the pain. Mm. And So your willingness has changed. Right. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so it's so interesting the way that that ebbs and flows over time in practice. There's I find there's always something in practice that's going to test that. You know, in five years from now, you will perhaps be doing Sarnamaskara B without even thinking of it. But there'll be something else that's taking you to this point. Yet, because you have a body of practice behind you, like even in observing how you feel about the second sun salutation today relative to six months ago, it's six months more mature than it was. That's so imagine what five years from now it will feel like, yet five years from now there's going to be something newer in your practice that brings you to this point again. But it's not going to be the same point because you've been there before. And this, this is where, going back to earlier when we were talking about um, traditional Ashtanga practice being similar to sitting meditation every day. You know, we get to these points of resistance, and instead of like as a newer student, you get to the point of a resistance and you freak out, right? Ah. Over time, you get to the point of resistance and you're like, oh, here we are again. <laughs> and you start laughing and you're like, oh, wow, here we are again. Let's do it. Um, and it's the perspective around the experience is what changes over time. Um, and this, you know, this is the, the beauty of having a practice. It's, it's actually why I feel gratitude daily that I have a practice that allows that cycle to happen 
Um, and we can extrapolate that to everything back to our mothers. You know, it's like, oh, okay, here we go again. My mother is saying something to me that she said to me when I was 15. Because my mother, although she's 82, I'll err on the side of, still talks to me like I'm 15 most <laughs> of the time. Right, Mom? I know you're going to watch this. So. But that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I get it. My child's nine, and I still talk to him like he's three half the time. Not in a condescending way, but he's my baby, right? Right. So, um, but yeah, you, you revisit these things. And this is why I think you know, we, 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 can, we can really articulate our personal experience of yoga and the benefit we get over time it's almost like it doesn't matter if we're stiff today or if we had a good week on the mat or you know this month's great last month was better it's more like oh look what the the whole quality of the experience now compared to you know last year or five years ago or this this type of thing um and you're having it happen, you know, something like Shira Namaskara B, which is very common. People start B and they just really dislike it. It's much more, there's more demand there. It's twice as long as A. It's more physically demanding. So there's that initial physical resistance. And then, as we've already been talking about, you know, all resistance is going to be rooted in the physical. So we're asked to do something physically demanding and it just opens up that hole box right but then over time suddenly you're like oh I'm doing this it's not as bad so like why why is it not as bad for you what about it is well that's better see so this goes (laughs) yeah I mean this is where for me it crosses beyond the physical and there's an element of me so because when you said you kind of push that point a little further beyond and Mm -hmm. and that point is kind of what I see it's our boundaries of who we are so we're expanding our boundaries therefore moving more and more to the infinite Mm -hmm. which that gets real spiritual real quickly but that for me is the belief like the infinite is reality Mm -hmm. and that opens up a whole can of worms as you would say Mm -hmm. but that's where like the sun B doing B the point move so you know before it was way up here and I was like I hate this and I still have that energy of like you know I hate this but now it's got more room to be in you know so it's not like that's that's physics if you take energy and you compress it it moves faster you know it's Mm. the energy's raised Uh and if you open it up there's slowness and breath Mm. That's what I think happens there with that point movie. Oh yeah, definitely. And that can happen for any body. And I mean I mean that as in the word anybody and two words, any right. body. And um <clears throat> you know that this is why yoga practice it's accessible it's totally accessible. I think that I mean, obviously, in some cases where there might be severe injury or some pretty um, pretty challenging physical issues, 
might not be as accessible. Um, but you can see in, in our class, for instance, the age range is from, let's say, like mid-20s through late 60s. And everybody's doing the same practice, yet very differently depending on their response. And, um, you know, the beauty of time with yoga practice is like our, you and I live in a different body than we might have 20 years ago. Yet the depth of our experience has 20 more years behind it. And this is, you know, I'll go off on a tangent here for a moment because this, I think, is one of the, the traps and the dangers of... of Wait, did you just say the death of our experience? No, the depth. The, the depth. depth. Oh, okay. We're not dead yet, are we? <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought it that, is Halloween. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but I, th- I think this is kind of the trap of, of yoga as, I don't know how to say it, like as the modern commodity that it's become, contemporary commodity where... A lot of how yoga is portrayed right now is, and and I read this a lot, you know, the Instagramming of yoga, people putting up pictures of, you know, younger bodies doing fancy things. Um, And I I know, for instance, my body as a 30-year-old responded differently to practice than it does now. Um, Yet, I didn't have the 21 years of experience that I do now compared to myself as a 30-year-old practitioner. And I don't mean the experience like I'm greatly experienced, so I am that much wiser. I mean just the actual, like, hey, Casey, down. Casey. (laughs) I I mean just the, the participation in practice over that period of time. I'm not assigning any accolades to myself. Um... And that participation in practice is something that can only be had by practicing. It can't be faked. You know, you can't pretend. It doesn't matter what kind of body you live in. And that's what I mean by any body can can find that. And I know when I look back and I think, well, I might not be doing certain things in my physical practice, my asana practice, as a 51-year-old that I did as a 30-year-old, the depth of experience and the connection and the satiation that I have at this point in life, I wouldn't trade that for a second to go back to. Does yoga need the physical movement? Like, could you teach yoga to someone who's uh, paralyzed? Completely paralyzed? Um, Sure, I think you could. I can only speak from my own experience of having worked with people who've had severe injuries or who've had pretty debilitating back issues and have been in physical bodies that are very limited in their mobility. And there's always a way to do it. I know with some of those people I've worked with, it's been a case of putting the physical body in a comfortable position, um, usually with the, the use of props, often a restorative type pose, and essentially doing pranayama, breathing, really simple breathing exercise. Because, we, you know, we all know, and I'm sure you felt this, you were telling me before we started that you were recently in a car accident. When we have trauma, we, everything contracts. Our, you know, our muscles, our nervous system, our circulatory system, we, we go into a state of contraction. And so be, to begin to do something to relieve that contraction 
there'll be some some relief. There'll be some benefit there. And in thinking back on some people I've worked with who literally all they could do physically was to be on the floor in a supported position. But we could we could go really far with cultivating awareness around breath, beginning to change their relationship with their breath, the moving away from the habitual pattern of breathing to a learned one, an intentional one, which is what asana is. It's moving away moving us away from our our habitual patterns of movement to intentional ones that create everything we're talking about, that can be distilled down just to breathing, regardless of what the physical body is doing. And I've seen in a lot of these cases, and even myself when I've gone through through some debilitating injury in the past, that distilling it just down to the breath has brought tremendous relief. And not just physical relief. And I don't mean like I've miraculously gotten up and like danced across the room um, but relief and that relief has also been on the other levels too the emotional relief spiritual relief because you know pain is pain takes us down on all levels right um, I, want, I know a great example I want to just note here which is that um, I go to the JCC in San Rafael quite often you know to go to the gym and they have a class there in the mornings, which is a chair yoga class. And the population in that class, and this is just judging from watching, probably like in the 80s, somewhat old, older people too, somewhat younger. Um, there's also a like a senior citizen home next to the JCCs. So I imagine that a lot of people come from there. And there's a pretty, uh, pretty kind of complete program for seniors that happens during the day there and I've watched this chair yoga class and oh it's just amazing what these bodies that are you know old right what they're doing in chairs and around chairs and with chairs and it's it's so incredible excuse me for me to watch this because it um it not only shows what we're talking about, I think, that there's always a way to do something, whether it's breathing in a body that might be incapable of much or any movement, to, you know, doing Ashtanga practice, which is, on the, I think, in some respects, on the more demanding, challenging side of the Hatha Yoga spectrum. But I watch these people doing this class, Greg, and I think um, my grandfather... He passed away when he was 83. And when he was 83, he had been in a nursing home for three years. And he was really, really old. He was a very old 83-year-old man. Um, he had not... He was born in 1900. He had not had a very active life. And being active was not part of the culture that he was raised in or lived in. Um and to compare him to his son, who's my dad, who's 88, it's it's amazing to see the comparison. You know, my, my father, 88, is um, he's definitely contending and has contended with the issues that come with being alive that long. Yet he's very active. I mean, he's still walking. He's going to the gym. He's not like pumping iron, but he's 
getting on a treadmill, he's walking, he's doing stuff. Um, it's a, it's just amazing to see that. And just to bring it back to yoga, the um, you know, I see that the the potential is really pretty amazing. Yeah, right? Don't we all know that? No, I'm not, I'm not, amazing is such a stupid word. Let's see if we can get through the rest of this without me using the word amazing. Let me just say, it, it's unlimited. Okay? And so you can see there are people in an Ashtanga Mysore class, or you can look at people in a chair yoga class. And the physical manifestation of yoga might be different. But I'd, I totally believe that the result and the intention is quite similar, if not the same. You want to focus me a little bit here? No. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. When you were talking about it could be as simple as breath, the practice of breath, because I was thinking of Stephen Hawking Mm -hmm. and thinking, okay, so Stephen Hawking could um, practice breath work. Mm -hmm. And that moves it from really a physical practice which to a practice of consciousness Mm -hmm. would you say that for you yoga is a practice of consciousness as opposed to just a physical practice yes oh yeah completely it's it's a physical practice it's a it's well it's let me put it this yeah, way. Yeah, be a little more specific. So when you use an automobile, the the importance isn't that you're using the automobile. You want to go someplace. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. And the automobile is the vehicle that you're using to get to that destination. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yoga is the automobile. Mm-hmm. And consciousness, the de- destination. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> so, can you restate the question? So, for for well, you did answer it. That the question was: Is for you is yoga a practice of consciousness? Well, yeah, but I'd say that the that answer has changed drastically over time. Um, for me personally, yoga is, it's, it's, I don't want to be repetitious and go back to what has already been said, but, um, it's, it's, you can edit this part out. Yeah, I know. I don't do it. No, it is. Except the difference, if you, if I can equate it to your analogy of driving, is perhaps in my younger experience as a yoga practitioner, I thought I knew what my destination was. I was driving to a certain point that I was convinced of. Now I have no idea. I am just driving. I just want to start the car and drive. That's pretty much what it's about every day. Because I know if the car sits unstarted, it's going to be cold. Right in the driveway, right. it just needs to start and go. Um, and I'm simplifying it, but even getting back to the conversation about our mothers, that's yoga as a spiritual practice of expanding our 
consciousness, our awareness of ourselves, of who we are, of how we act, of being able to look at that, and of being able to look at that in a clear, non-diluted way, which is really, for me personally, is the key, because it's very easy to convince ourselves of anything. And it's really easy in yoga to convince ourselves of a lot of things. And to be able to look at ourselves as we truly are, or things that are happening, and this is a very, it's not a black-white thing. It can take some time with different observations we might have of ourselves. But to be able to honestly look at ourselves is something that comes from, from work, from cultivating consciousness, from not just convincing ourselves, oh, because I do yoga, I'm like that. I, I think, if anything, in my own personal experience, um, I started yoga high up on a pedestal and just continue to come down and down and down. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I don't mean that in a grim way. It's actually quite relieving because over time... It just continues to lay bare all of the illusions that I continue to create about myself as a person, as a yoga practitioner, um, in many different contexts in my life. And although looking at that and sometimes as realizations or cultivating that, that awareness is certainly not comfortable and sometimes not welcome, over the an extended period of time. It's looking at that that's created, actually created the relief, you know, that's created the um, a, a greater sense of serenity or tranquility. I don't know if I'm really articulating that as clearly, but um, it's it's all it's almost like the the truthfulness of looking at that type of thing. So looking at who you really are. What, and I, I'm a little reticent to talk about this because it makes it sound like I know who I am. You know, I'll never know who I am. It's the repetition of looking at it. It's, it's like a meditation problem. But practice. isn't it's never... It's sitting with it daily, allowing oneself to be with it in that context that allows us to to look at these things and experience them. But don't you believe that one day you could know who you are? Absolutely. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh -huh. It's kind of one of these things where I know who I am and I don't know who I am. You know? Right, I right. personally know a lot of my tendencies um, because I've watched them, I've watched myself act out on them over much of my adult life, beginning probably as an early teenager. Um, yet, as we're you know, going back to the very beginning of the conversation, that observation and creating awareness around them is how I begin to recognize them and know them. So yeah, certainly I know myself better in that sense. Yet it never stops. Ourselves never stop revealing themselves to us, do they? as glorious and miserable as that can be at the same well, I time. Well, <laughs> I think, I believe that there will be, that we'll, I believe it possible that we are conscious of who we are completely. Mm -hmm. And the journey of exploration is over. 
The journey of existence isn't over. Mm-hmm. The journey of unconsciousness is over. What do you mean is over? There is. N- we are no longer unconscious. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that in yourself? That potential. Oh, yes. oh, like has a potential. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's possible. And and I believe that it has been achieved by beings on this planet. Oh, for sure. So. Personally, I I will need who knows how many millions more lifetimes ah. to get there myself. But well, you know, we do have this. the occasional like Ramana Maharishi or you know. So people. and I have one question I definitely <laughs> want to ask before this is over because this one, but that's a silly question. So when you look at your life without yoga and the projected path that you were on. Like, can you see, like, you know, had I not taken up yoga, like you said, if I had stayed at Berkeley in the UC system Mm -hmm. and lived this life of mediocrity. So you see a life that you would have lived. Mm -hmm. And here... That was actually a good life. It was just... (laughs) Well, here's what's interesting. And I was doing yoga during that time. In this um, conversation of consciousness... Yeah. Now it occurred to me that I, it sounds like what you're saying is that would have been a life of unconsciousness. I would, could have continued that life of unconsciousness. And obviously you're not dead, so you're conscious of some things. But mm-hmm. when you compare your consciousness you have right now to the consciousness you would have embodied down that path, you appreciate the consciousness you have now. I do. I don't know how to compare them because who knows how things would be if I had gone down that path. I mean, I was... And and that was a good place to be at that point. At that point in time, um, I had begun teaching. I had already begun teaching maybe two, three years. um, And it was drawing me very deeply to it. And that was quite scary because... And this may still even be true at this point, but a career as a yoga teacher was completely unviable. Um, yet I kept getting drawn to this, and there was some threat to it, because I was like, oh my God, I really want to do this. But I have a substantial job that I could stay in for quite a long time, assuming I maintained a certain level of work. Um, yet I kept getting further drawn to to the yoga thing and eventually got to the point where because of some a number of things that happened in a short period of time I quit that job and went to India to study with Patabi Joyce the first time with the intention of coming back and trying to only teach yoga as my profession which in 1994 was considered like absolutely insane and a lot of people are trying to do that now, and it might even be crazier to try to do that now. I don't know than it was then, because um, there's so many more people trying to do yeah, that. Yeah, the competition's <laughs> yeah. pretty... It's a different thing, but um, yeah. it, was a, it was a tremendous leap of faith, and I surely didn't go into it with kind of a, a glazed-eyed, you know, all will be good. You know, I went into it with oh, tremendous amount of fear. And as a person who's like a very fear-based person, 
afraid of change. Who knows how I did that? I mean, it was this was this was God's work for sure. That allowed me to walk away from everything and go to India. Um, maybe it was the recognition of a very strong force that was happening in my life. And I had met Batabi Joyce in Encinitas the year before and was deeply moved by the one week I had been with him. It was almost like a ball was rolling and I was trying to stop it and it was wouldn't stop. So you were practicing yoga and you went to practice in Encinita? Yeah, Encinitas in Southern California. Okay, with and that's where you met him. And after meeting him in that week of practice, you're like, oh, I'm going to go study with this gentleman. Well, like the writing was on the wall. I knew it was inevitable at some point, but I didn't think I could actually do it. It felt impossible. And I had some friends who were already going to Mysore and studying with him. They were like, you got to do it. And I'm like, I will never go to India, completely outside the constructs of my life. I, I had actually been pra- started practicing yoga as a teenager and became regular and um, and I would say committed to it soon after I graduated college. So at that at that point, you know, I think I was in my early thirties. So I had been already been practicing for some time. Um, yeah, that's about twelve years. <clears throat> but it had gone through a couple different formations, and it was still like meandering around and like I know. am with yoga. I don't know. You might be a little on a little more directed path than you're giving yourself credit for, guy. <laughs> I think you are. Uh, yeah, I'm like this one question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the poses, one of the ashnas, <laughs> is when people are like in a plank pose and they jump back, you know, like six times and then forward yeah. six times. Not crossing a baby crocodile. Crocodile. <laughs> yeah. So. I have, like, because my wife is very into yoga, and she has Mm. books, and I said, like, have you heard of this pose? She went, no, we looked it up and all this stuff, and she showed me the um, Mysore flow, you know, the Mysore sequence, Mm. and it wasn't in any of that. Well, you might have been looking at a primary series chart. Okay. And it's an intermediate. So that exists. That's... (laughs) I can lead you to some links where you can see people practicing this. Yeah, it's a real... I can see it in class. It's a real pose. Baby crocodile. Baby... Like a... They, they scurry. Right. You know, kind of like you, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there, are, um, there are definitely a number of asanas in the, Ashtang, the different Ashtanga sequences, which relative to the, the large world of yoga are obscure a little more obscure, or I don't want to say unique to the Ashtanga system, but rarely practiced outside of the Ashtanga system. But they do exist. You know, there's there are no asanas so you didn't make that, that, that I know of <laughs> that are practiced in the traditional Ashtanga system that were like invented for it. Um, that I'm, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen documentation of basically all of them. I think you can find pretty much all of them in Light on Yoga, in fact. In fact, I think Nakrasana is even listed in Light on Yoga and articulated there, if I'm not mistaken. It's been some time since I've looked. Okay, because Liz has that Maybe Janushrasasana C is not, because that's a pretty obscure pose, but... And which one's that one? 
Um, that's when we sit and we take the foot and take it perpendicular to the floor okay. with the navel and the heel and the navel. And Now, this right. is why it can be so scary to be in Mysore class because you see people doing some freaky things in there, right? <laughs> yeah, baby crocodile. To me, that's like, all right, come on. You learn that in a rave dance somewhere. And no, there, there really is actually cool. a point. There's a point to that asana. Awesome. Uh, there's a point to that asana awesome besides cultivating humility, for sure. <laughs> um, but, Casey. But yeah, I mean, when you know, when I think back on the yoga thing, if, can I say just one more thing about, Absolutely. you know, the yoga and the job in India? And, you know, when I went to India that first time, I left knowing I was coming back to an unknown. And um, <clears throat> I met the woman there who, at, at that point, the studio was called the Yoga Studio in Mill Valley was eventually bought by Yoga Works, but it has been the same studio for many years. And um, I met the woman there who was the Ashtanga teacher at the yoga studio, who was in India for a couple months and had a sub in Mill Valley. <clears throat> and we became friends, and she said to me at the end of my trip, you should go back and teach there, knowing that I wanted to come back and teach. And the person subbing for her was just kind of holding the place. Um, and she put me in touch with the woman who owned the yoga studio and I contacted her from India and I came back and met with her and within two weeks of returning from that trip I was teaching five days a week and it's been like that ever since and I don't say that in any kind of flippant way whatsoever um because I didn't come back to something that was easy. You know, I was trying to make a living as a yoga teacher. And that's never an easy thing, no matter how long you do it. You know, whether it was 1995 or right now, it's something that always requires a high level of engagement if you want it to work. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Um, so I don't want to make it sound like I just danced into this thing and it was all glorious. But it was an interesting experience just in that whole leap of faith to go to India and to walk away from a life which had been presented to me as the correct path to take. Um, and I mean that from a, a non-judgmental point of view, because I come from a family of very accomplished individuals, my parents and my sisters. Um, and so for me to leave a job like I had to go to India was... A, a very radical thing to do. Let me ask you <clears throat> this, and maybe... Yeah. Um, maybe go in your bed. <laughs> do you yeah. ever feel from your family um, a looking down at you? Like, like, we, like you said, they're a high-level achievement. Do they ever look mm -hmm. like, oh, John, you could have achieved so much, and yeah, yoga's nice. We practice it. Yeah. No, I've actually never felt that. And I I know I've never felt that because we all love each other. And I know that even when the acceptance factor was almost non-existent, um, there was still the love there. You know, so I never I never felt a, a judgment. I felt um the acceptance factor. There was a lot of fear, you know, is our kid 
concern. Just, you know, yeah. going off the deep end here, right? Because he's not going to law school. Um, <laughs> there's that type of thing, and there's there's no blame in my saying that. It's just what people are familiar with and what's foreign to them. And my doing that at that point was um, certainly not a common path in my family or families of the people around us. Um, and yeah. They probably said, uh, we knew we should have had him go to an East Coast college. Going to Berkeley was a mistake. No, I actually did go to an East Coast college. Oh, right. um, <laughs> I went to Vassar College. I might, might be the only <laughs> yoga teacher that came from Vassar. Who knows? So I was on that path. You know, I was on the correct path for a long time. The correct path. And in fact, it only got more correct over time. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm just saying this because one thing that I have seen in yoga is that and I want to use what I just said, my story. It's It's been somewhat of a personal reminder of yoga for, for me has always defied my expectations. And I can become very bound to expectations of myself, of other people, of how life should be. And many times in my own personal life, those expectations have changed. Not because I wanted them to. You know, the situation has changed. It's been forced to change. That has often been painful. You know, we all have situations where what we thought would happen radically changed. Um, and the path of yoga, you know, it's it's has definitely helped me navigate that. I don't want to say in a way that I might not have otherwise, because I don't know how it would have otherwise. I only know what's happened and what is. But I think it, I know that it relates to everything we've been talking about in this conversation. Even going back to bringing our mothers up and how we might respond or how you might respond now compared to a point in the past. Um, just having that ability to to be with something that's unexpected or uncomfortable and not reacting or reacting different, reacting from a place of consciousness or attempted, in my case, attempted, not realized, um, but attempted. Always a work in progress, right? I don't know. I can only be grateful for that. But I no longer make assumptions that I've, you know, it's only, it's, it's 100% attempted only at this point. Well, would you say like your <laughs> teacher that you went, how do you, Patabi Joyce. Patabi yeah. Joyce. <coughs> Do you think he would communicate about himself that same element of consciousness? The same... The same which part do you mean specifically? Like you, the self-defeating aspect. Like you kind of holding that, like, you know... You know. Well, just I don't know. I wouldn't describe what I just said actually self-defeating more. It feels more like realistic to me because it, it kind of goes back to, and I'll answer your question in a second, where I once believed, you know, where I once had all these ideas about what yoga was and what it would do. Um, many of those ideas have changed radically. You know, these expectations have changed. And the change has been healthy because they're more realistic. They're not as illusional or delusional 
I think what Patabi Joyce, I, you know, I had the extreme pleasure of knowing him really well because uh, I was able to study with him in my trips to India at a time where the numbers of people going there were quite small. So we became, we all became, it was very familial. Um, so I did know him quite well, and I don't want to guess how he would answer your question at all. But one thing that he did constantly when he was asked questions about yoga or when people would bring their issues to him, he would always refer back to practice as the way that the issue would be solved or the question would be answered. Um, his famous saying that many people are familiar with is, you practice all will come. And that's one of those sayings that's almost so much of a soundbite that we don't hear it. But let's apply it to you and Sir Namaskara B. Okay. Your process of practicing is changing your relationship with something that perhaps you had resistance to or initially disliked or found difficult or unpleasurable. But in practicing, the whole experience of that is beginning to change and will continue to change. And he so deeply believed in, he was so committed to yoga as a transformational practice that he would always refer back to that. It was never about him. And this is why he was really the first person who I was able to, um, to truly say was my guru, was someone who was a teacher to me because what he did in his teaching to me was really about revealing the potency and the potential of yoga practice. It was not about him as an individual and it never was. And over time that brought in me towards him like great respect and great love because I've seen in the yoga world, you know, when it can become about the individual and that can that can become dangerous. And I and in saying this, you know, I'm not saying that Patabi Joyce was a perfect human being. I mean he was a he was a guy. You know, he never made himself out to be a guru, you know, or what Westerners think of as a you know, an enlightened being at all. He was a regular guy. He never made any qualms about it. You know, we hung out with him and watched TV. We joked about stuff. We went to the market. You know, he was just like a regular dude who was a yoga teacher, for real. Um, but boy, his his unflappable commitment and passion to it was just incredible. And I know in my own case, you know, whenever I tried to put anything on him or when I tried to make a problem or when I articulated to him some issue that I had, he always went back to that point. And he would often articulate it much more deeply than you practice all will come. But it always went back to that. And I, I think that in going back to the beginning of our conversation, Greg, about you know this practice or any yoga practice, where it's like sitting down and meditating every day, it's always just going right back to that point over and over and over. And that reference point is invaluable. That's that's really where the change comes from. Hmm. I don't know. Well, it seems like a good point to stop there. <laughs> is All there right. anything else that you'd want to add, or that 
is you'd want to bring up? No, I hope I've answered your questions. All right, I think so. I mean, what you know, one thing that just has popped in my mind as we've been talking is the very first thing that you brought up, which is yoga as the machine. Like, can the process of just mechanically doing the asanas create all the rest of it? I don't know if I'm describing your question accurately. And I almost think like everything we've talked about kind of shows that it can. Yeah, that's why it yeah. felt like you talking about, I'm going to mispronounce his name. Patabi Joyce? Patabi Joyce. Just call him Guruji. Okay. It's easier. <laughs> um, like, that's why it seems like a good place to end, because that is kind of bringing it back to the mechanics. Just do the, me- just do the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Run the machine. And it will work. <laughs> oh, exactly. And he just, you know, he simplified it right down to that. And he was like, every day, just do, just do it every day. And believe me, you know, he, I tripped out around him a million times. You know, at any time I would be like, going off, he would take me right back to that point. Yeah. In fact, what he would say to me so often, I hear this every day in my practice, you body no problem, mind problem only. <laughs> over and over and over. I hear this almost every day in my head. JB, mind problem only. <laughs> and what's the resolution of that? How do we deal with that? Right. Just practice, yeah? yeah? Anyway, this has been awesome. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Appreciate You're it. Welcome. Thank you. And I can't wait for you to start liking the first standard. Because <laughs> we just keep going down. You know, and the beauty of the practice that we do is right when you start liking everything, you learn something new to dislike. And you start the whole process of resistance all over. Well, see, I think I think whatever some some scar of be. Yeah, yeah, that's a standing pose. Oh yeah, and it's a, it's a big one. Yeah, well, you know. Thank you for your time, Lasa. All right, I really appreciate it. Okay. All right. Cut. <laughs> for you. <laughs>